0: Couple summers back, I pushed a little bit on the on the Wednesday night Bible study. I forget how we got to the topic, but we decided, and we almost spent an entire summer on the topic of what does it mean to have salvation. What does it mean to be in this place where we are saved or what I like to say where we're safe? We're safe before the presence of a holy, mighty, and righteous God. What does it mean that we are safe in his presence? And we began that discussion, that many weeks discussion, we began by simply answering that question before we opened up our Bibles. We began by answering that question to the best of our ability. And collectively, we said, okay, let's pin that down. What does that mean when we speak of salvation? And collectively, we reached the conclusion that said, all my sins are washed away. That's it. And and I asked, okay, we're all agreed. That's what it means to be saved, to be safe before a righteous God. Yep. Yep. All my sins are washed away. And then we began to open our Bibles. And what we saw there was sometimes, and I, I, perhaps it's the fault of those of us who occupy the pulpit, uh, sometimes we try and make things simple to understand, but simple to understand can become simplistic. And simple to understand could mean that we don't quite really have a grasp on, on what is. And so we pushed that summer to look at this concept of salvation a little bit more in detail. By no means did we exhaust it. But I would like to take the privilege this morning. Now, those who are at that study, they've got a lead on the rest of us. But I'd like to take the privilege this morning to push on this a little more than perhaps we have in quite some time. This question of salvation, what are we... What are we talking about? And we're here now because we're simply continuing our study in a systematic way that we began last summer, in fact, on a variety of topics. But we're continuing our study on man from creation to redemption. And under that heading of redemption, I want to shift to another biblical concept which falls under it. You understand we're still talking redemption. But this concept of regeneration, I trust by the time we're done, we will all understand this is clearly a biblical concept, whether we talk about it much or not. The scriptures are very clear on this. And we're going to develop two thoughts on regeneration. The first one, and I want you to, for those of you who like to fill in, I want to fill in up front in case I miss this in a little while. Regeneration is required... By Christ is what your note said. I probably should have had that say. It's required by the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Regeneration is required by the Son. And the second thing that we're going to note is regeneration is acquired through the Spirit. Those are the two points that we are simply going to develop. This morning, And I trust by the time we're done, you will be able to say, hey, even if I didn't get everything that was said, I realize it's a significant and important doctrine in Scripture. John chapter 3 is where we begin our study, that well-known passage where a Pharisee comes to Jesus quietly. His name is Nicodemus, and he's got some questions because he recognizes there are some things which are happening in the ministry of Jesus that you have to attribute to something. And he believes they can be attributed to God, but he comes and he's got some questions that he wants to ask him. And he begins by saying that, well, no, that I know that what I'm seeing can't be simply by men. There has to be God is involved here somewhere. And Jesus takes the conversation in a way I think he was probably surprised by because it seems to not follow upon what he was saying directly. And Jesus answered and said to him, verse 3 of John chapter 3, "'Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God.' Nicodemus said to him, "'How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born?' Jesus answered, "'Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit,' he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. He said you must be born again. The word literally in this context could also be translated, you must be born from above. Three times he makes the assertion that in some way this birth must happen. And without it, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's why I say regeneration is required by the son. He makes it clear in what he's saying to Nicodemus, this concept of regeneration, this concept of being born again, born from above, must happen. And without it, there's no celebration of a home going like we were able to celebrate with all confidence with Gertie. There is no celebration of a homegoing, because there's no entrance into the kingdom of God without this regenerating aspect of salvation. It cannot happen. You must be born again. In the last statement that he makes, "Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again." in verse seven, it's a little Greek word must letter's D-E-I. And it has with it this concept of logical necessity. There's an absoluteness to it that says this reality is necessary for whatever is going to happen. And in this case, if you're going to see the kingdom of God, if you're going to be a part of that redemptive work that the Bible speaks of, If you're going to enter into the promises of God, you must, logical necessity, inescapable, must experience the regeneration of being born again. It's required. Now, I think he gives us a little help here and then he goes on to give an illustration, because you can tell Nicodemus is left a little bit like, uh, are you telling me that somebody who's old goes back and enters their mother's womb and is born a second time? Is that what you're saying? Because that's literally what it sounds like. You must be born again. And then he says, it's a work of the Spirit of God. And he gives the illustration of the wind. He says, the wind comes, the wind goes, you can hear it, you can see its effect, but you can't tell where it came from or where it went. You don't know that. But it's a real thing that you can hear and see. So we don't deny the reality, even though we can't explain the origin. And I think with that, it helps me to say, you know what? Every aspect of this regenerating thing we're talking about, whatever it is, in all of its depth, I may not really grasp. But there's one thing that I can grasp for sure from this passage. There's no question, it's stated three times in different ways, if I'm going to see the kingdom of heaven, I have to be born again. I have to go through this regenerating process. There's no escaping that. It's simple, it's straightforward. Now, what is that regenerating process? We'll talk about that in a bit, but what I want us to grasp here is regeneration is required in order to enter the kingdom of God. That's the first thing we want to make clear. It's a work of the Spirit. It's necessary. And it may have some things that are difficult to understand. But there's much in the Scripture which I don't understand. There's much about how God works I don't understand. So I don't dismiss it because I don't understand it. Now, I'd like to talk to those of us for a minute. Young people, I'm sorry. You're going to hear this and go, oh, there's the old guy off being boring again. Okay, right here. Okay, Adam children. He'll be like, we don't get it. We can't identify with it. But please forgive me. There are people from my generation who do identify with this, and they need to be assured as to what I'm going to say. Because this whole concept, clearly biblical, an absolute necessity that Jesus sets forth, came up into a political discussion years ago. Remember that? And I think it was during Carter's administration or during his run for office. And he made the declaration, I believe it was Jimmy Carter's, what God had started, that he was a born-again Christian. Well, that became this popular thing. It was the trendy thing of the day in discussing Christianity. And people would ask, you know, that question, are you a born-again Christian? almost became like this thing that you beat people with in some contexts. And this big dividing line. And people would either declare, yes, they are, or people would say, no, don't put me in with them crazies. Because that's what it became. By the way, people, understand, are you with me on this? If you and I are going to hold to a biblical Christianity and we're going to hold to it firmly and we're going to hold to it without shame and embarrassment, we're going to be made to look like idiots in the media. You got that? Expect that. Expect it. The world will not embrace in love when we say to them, you must be born again. They will say, who do you think you are? Our answer is, I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. I'm just telling you what Jesus himself said. That's all. He's the one who set it forth in no uncertain terms and I'm just repeating it. But it doesn't need to be something we're afraid of. I want to throw this comment in. I think there was a lot happening then, and we get into trends, and we get into, you know, I'm really, I'm in or I'm out, whatever. I think two things happened. I think we were hearing people declare, yes, I'm a born-again Christian, who were not ever, had never experienced regeneration. And I also think people from other ways in which they understood their Christian faith who definitely embraced the work of Jesus Christ on their behalf, but they had not been instructed from this passage and in this particular way, who had experienced what Jesus is talking about. They just didn't know it was theirs. And they'd be like, no, I don't claim to be a born-again Christian. That's those crazy fundamentalists. And I don't want to be a part of them. And they didn't understand that to be born again does not make you crazy. It just makes something new that's happening. And so it got this whole overtone that this is something that, ooh, it just gives me a weird feeling. And I'd like to dismiss that now. And I'd like us to hear the words of Jesus as he says, you must be born again. And understand that he said this is required in order to enter the kingdom of God. And put aside the political discussions and put aside the media and put aside those who, who will make it look foolish. Put it all aside and consider your own need that Jesus has said cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born from above, unless we are born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He is talking about something that God in His Holy Spirit does that is effective in our lives. And there's this contrast between having been born of the flesh, the natural man, and what we are like, and this contrast to that which is born of the Spirit. It's something new brought in. It's something new that happens. Regeneration is required by the Son. Scripture clearly teaches that. Regeneration is acquired through the Spirit. Remember Jesus said, that which is flesh is flesh, that which is Spirit is Spirit. Turn with me, if you will, to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Now, for those of you upon whom I'm pushing and you're going, I'm really uncomfortable with what you're saying. And later you want to look at this. Let me give you a little memory device. You go, how do I come back to the? How do I find those two main texts again? If you can just remember John and Titus, we're starting each passage in 3.3. So we're going to pick it up here in Titus 3.3. We were in John 3.3. Sometimes a little memory device. I hope the rest of your lives, everyone here will always remember, talking about regeneration. John 3.3, Titus 3.3, I got it. And then you can go back and you can reflect on these for years to come. And I mean that seriously. Mark this down in your little mental notebook, Titus chapter three verse three. Now, I'm picking it up just a little bit early for intent, a uh, uh, very real intention. Three three. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, uh, malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That which is flesh is flesh. So that's who we were. That's what we're like in our natural man. Remember how we described in this whole study about man from creation to redemption? Remember how he's made in God's image? Got that. He sought for more, got far less. Oh, yeah, he ate of the tree he shouldn't have because he believed a lie. Said you can become as God. You can become as God rather than just be in the image of God. So you can become more, but when he reached for that, he became far less, and the image of God was lost. And then we found these acts and patterns of sin which we had to conclude with the scriptures were because man now has a nature of sin. He has a fallen, broken nature. The image of God has been marred. And in his natural state, this is what he is like. We ourselves were foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That which is flesh is flesh. And we all begin there. You need to understand that. We can try and convince ourselves, I'm oh, not that bad. We can try and convince ourselves, well, that's other people. Look at the human race around us. We see what it is like. We see the evil that a per- man perpetrates on his fellow man. Why do we think somehow we're really not like that? Yeah, we are. You raise me in a Middle Eastern context under radicalized parents who teach me to hate. Jews and hate America and I will be screaming in the streets that I hate Jews and death to America. Sorry I will be that. And I will embrace it as my my just right because I'm fallen. That which is flesh is flesh and it acts like flesh and it acts like this. But verse 4 when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness, which we have done. That's the whole cross thing, okay? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This regenerative process is a work of the Holy Spirit. The washing of regeneration. Now that word literally is born again. It's a two-part word. It actually is again born. Because the again part is at the beginning of the word. It's again born. Regeneration. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. You get this? It's a work of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. That which is flesh is flesh, Jesus said to Nicodemus. That which is spirit is spirit. And the flesh left to itself always behaves in its predictable ways. But the spirit does something new. It's a a washing. It's a regeneration. It's a renewing. It's a transformation that the Holy Spirit brings into our life when we enter into this new dynamic of a relationship by faith. It's not about works. It's not about some religious practice, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It doesn't come upon us because I've really been good and I've gone to church every day and I've read my Bible and I've said my prayers and all of those things. That's not what brings it. It is a work of the Spirit of God that transforms us Poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of the cross, God can now do this. I like to think of it as kind of a two-step thing, friends. Because we we spent three different services together with the cross and the chains. Remember that? Remember how the Bible speaks about sin as being something that enslaves us? Remember how we, we saw on Easter Sunday morning, we were set free from those chains and that bondage? And then if you were with us last week, we saw we can pick the change and wrap ourselves up in them again. We can go right back to the bondage. When we go back to religious legalism, philosophic idealism, or simply we run back into the world of sin. And we go, well, I'm free to sin, so I guess I'll go do it. We find out sin is bondage. Always has been, always will be. That's how it is. We need something else. None of those things, three things will ever get us to a good place. We need something different. And what we need is this work of the Spirit of God. That one washes us of our sins. See, Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. And Colossians tells us, He took, out, he took the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross, so that our offenses were seen as nailed to the cross of Christ. The penalty was paid in full for our offenses, for our sins. And that's a necessary and a good thing because if Christ did not take that penalty upon himself, somehow the penalty for sin has to be paid. And guess what? If Christ doesn't take it, there's only one other person's going to pay for the penalty of my sin. That's me. That's it. But he was the perfect sin bearer, so he was able to take my offenses God saw them as nailed to the cross. God is able to, in his righteous system, to take Christ's righteousness, put it to my account, I'm cleansed. And as the Bible study people said, all my sins are washed away. And that's true. And it had to happen. But there's more. And that's what we're trying to get a handle on. Because something new must take place. A regenerating work has to occur. I want to just throw out to you, and we're not going to take time, I hope you can quickly pick up as I move through these, hopefully quickly pick up what we're talking about in terms of this new work. Something new must take place by the Spirit of God. In Second Corinthians chapter 3, I want to pick it up in verse 16. Paul is describing a historical context in which Moses, when he came down from the mountain, had a veil over his face because it veiled the glory of God And without going into the type and the anti-type. Just so you're aware, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Isn't that a great statement? Isn't that a great truth? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is transforming us as we look to Christ, transforming us into His image. There's a new work that is happening by the Spirit. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Pick up on this. Paul is dealing with those. In verse 13, you catch the end of his discussion. About those who, we saw this with religious legalism, those who would want to get us to, to become circumcised, to follow the law so that uh, we then can become right with God, as they would think, that would be our entrance into the kingdom. He says, that's not what they're after. They want you to follow them. Then they can glory in you. And I got this big of a following. Attendance was this much today. They don't care about you. They don't even understand truth. Is it battle over the question of do believers get circumcised or not. Verse 13, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Get the context? That which is flesh is flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, And I to the world, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Got that? With our little religious distinctions and arguments and petty things that we get caught up over, he says, this was a big one. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. In Christ Jesus, the Spirit of God is creating us anew. That's, he says, what matters. And these religious practices that we make such a big deal of, he says, they don't add up to a whole lot. Consider Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. want to pick that up in verse 6. Colossians chapter 3. Because of these things, he's just listed a whole bunch of stuff. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. That which is flesh is flesh. That's what the old man is always like. That's what we are like in our natural fallen state. When we sought for more, got far less and lost the image of God. And you have put on the new man who's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Do you get that? We're being renewed into the image that was lost at the fall. Where there is neither... Notice, just clears the, he just clears the deck. Where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And all of these other distinctions that we make at the human level, he says, they mean nothing. The only thing that matters is that the Spirit of God Working through our salvation is renewing us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what has to happen. and everything else is flesh. Second Peter, chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. want to pick it up in verse two. That which is flesh is flesh. But we have escaped that by becoming partakers of the divine nature. How? Through the power that is at work. Where is that power coming from? This Holy Spirit's regenerating work. That which is flesh is flesh. That which of the Spirit is spirit. And He's remaking us into that image that was lost. And one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, which is why you've heard it many, many times, at the end of this whole discussion, chapters 6, 7, and 8 in the book of Romans, where Paul asked that question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. He says, "No, we haven't been saved in order to continue in sin like somehow that's a good thing. We've been saved out of sin. But then as he goes on, he says, but it's, it's, sometimes it's a struggle to learn how to walk in this new life. And when we are learning how to walk in this new life, we also find it brings us right into a world of suffering. It doesn't solve everything. And we can expect to suffer because this world is filled with suffering and the whole world has been subjected to the sin that our, that our first parents, uh, entered into. And he goes on to give this, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God are called according to His purpose. We know that. We use it all the time when we're in a difficult place. But then he says this most redeeming statement in verse 29, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. God, the power of the Holy Spirit, is making us back into that which was lost at the fall. And we now will bear the image of Jesus Christ. That image long gone for centuries. What was lost at the fall is being restored through regeneration. Jesus said, You must be born again. Why? Three times is He so emphatic. It's a necessity. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you have experienced this regenerating work of the Spirit. Well, Let me see if I can get a little bit of a picture. I was really excited. And you've seen seen a note in your bulletin? It goes like this. Calling all men. Volunteers are needed for Saturday, April 25th, to work on the man cave flooring from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Contact Miles H. with any question. That's Miles Hogberg, in case you're wondering. To distinguish him from all the other Mileses that are here? Okay. You know, the men were so excited when we were told we could shape this room for ministry to men. And shortly after that... Uh, the carpets were being cleaned here. We were all excited. We got the carpets cleaned. They got them cleaned. And they look good. Those carpets are clean. We're thrilled. About two weeks later, carpets are looking a little dirty. About two months later, the carpets are as dirty as they ever were. And it's been at least twice, if not three times, that carpets have been cleaned since the men have been told they can use the room. There's a problem here. You see, we can wash off the surface dirt and get it out of there, and it needs to happen. We can do that, but there's a problem because those carpets are fallen. Those carpets have had infused into them many years of potato chips being stepped on, drinks being poured, barbecue that's been a plate that went over, okay, so now, infused into that carpet is just grease and things that just collect dirt. They just, they just grab it, and you can look and see. Oh, there was a big spill here. This was a little spill. Here's a medium-sized spill. And they've all shown up again. So after two or three times of cleaning, the men said, we need a new floor. Because simply cleaning off the surface dirt doesn't do it. The nature of this carpet is to attract garbage to it. Do you see where I'm going? Jesus Christ died to wash us from the penalty of sin. And it was absolutely necessary because if He does not die and and pay the penalty for our sin, if He does not die and do that, we pay the penalty. We are eternally lost. So the penalty for our sin must be cleansed and washed away. John says when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to give us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need that cleansing of the guilt and the effect and the power of that sin. We need it. But there's something more because that which is flesh is flesh. And the problem is our very nature is like the carpets that have been infused with the grease and the sugar and the syrup and everything that draws the dirt to them. Because we could then perhaps, you know, at the very last breath of our life, confess every last sin that we ever had and so we enter into God's presence we go I made it I have no unconfessed sin I'm free I'm washed wonderful about two weeks later the dirt starts showing up again because all we've done is usher that which by nature draws the dirt to it and it won't take long at all before heaven is every bit as corrupted as earth has been because the problem is our Nature, that which is flesh, is flesh. And it does the works of the flesh. And that's why Jesus said, we must be born again. The Spirit of God must do something in us to transform us, or else we're going right back to getting dirty again. Because we just attract. The garbage. Regeneration, it's required by the Son. It's acquired through the Spirit as the Spirit of God works in us. Can I be very clear? I have to cut a bunch of stuff off here because the clock says, shut up, here. Without a regenerating work of God's Spirit, we do not have salvation. Whatever your definition of salvation is, whatever your definition of redemption is, however you view being, you know, you claim I'm saved, okay? I don't care where you're coming from. However it is, Jesus says, if you do not have the regenerating work of God that has, been, that has really happened in your life, you will not see the kingdom of God because your very nature alienates you from God. Sin, death, and enslavement will remain the norm for our lives. I'm going to stop there. But I want to, I want to just, I just want to say, first of all, to those of us who have known Jesus in a personal way and we have received Him as our Savior, the Spirit of God is doing this work. This is part and parcel to your having come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. What becomes the dynamic for us is learn to walk in this place where the spirit of God is saying, man, I'm transforming you into Christ's image. And we go, that's where I want to live. I want to live in submission to the spirit's work, transforming me into Christ's image, because I know three things over here kill me. Number one, religious legalism can get me nowhere. Number two, political idealism or philosophical idealism can get me nowhere. Number three, walking in sin, that's death every time. None of those can do me any good. I need something new. What's the new thing? Over here, the Spirit of God is teaching me to be conformed into Christ's image, and the Spirit of God is transforming me. This is where I want to live, so that what I am living now is not just in my own strength. I'm, like, oh, I'm going to try really hard. It is, no, the Spirit of God is changing me so that to live lovingly and kindly and graciously and to forgive and to let the let the bitterness go, let all of that other stuff go, let the anger, let it all go, is because Christ is transforming me by His Spirit to be like Him. That's where I want to live. That's the regeneration. I know it challenges us, friends. Give yourself a little freedom. Jesus said you don't understand the wind either. So this may take some time to think on. But it's a reality we can't ignore. So for those of us who know Christ, let's seek to live in that place and ask God to reveal that to us. For those of us who've never come to that personal place where we have met Christ, it's pretty obvious what He said. We need a regenerating work of God. Nobody will get to heaven without it. That regenerating work begins when we call upon Jesus Christ, what He did for us on the cross, and when we confess Him, the Holy Spirit will come into our lives and then begin this transformation so that both the, the penalty of our sins has been paid and now our very nature is going to be transformed. We get a new identity and that new identity will we'll take into heaven. So friends, it would be wonderful if today nobody left this place without the assurance that yes, I've called upon Jesus Christ because of my own need. He will respond to the prayer of faith that says Jesus. I, I have a need. <laughs> I, I'm a broken sinner and you're the only solution that God has given I call upon you. He will not turn that prayer away. Wonderful for us all to leave with that assurance. Father, thank You. Thank You for the joy of being renewed by Your Spirit, Lord. Give us the freedom and the wonder to walk in that renewal and to let the Holy Spirit of God so minister to us and speak to us and transform us and allow us to shed these things of the flesh. Because that which is flesh really is flesh, Lord, and we see it every day in ourselves. But we ask you to change it and to transform it, that we might bear the image of Christ more fully. And Father, if there's anyone here struggling with that eternal decision about their need for the Savior, for this process to begin, I pray today will be the day they say, Yes, Lord Jesus, I confess you now as my Savior. We ask your Holy Spirit to do that great redeeming and regenerating work. Father, in Jesus' name, amen.